Uh, well, why don't we pray as we come to God's word? Let's, let's pray together. Yeah, Father, on a day where uh, the world is, well, I just got a text message saying a Boxing Day sale coming, fill your pockets and fill your world with things. Um, the peace of yesterday uh, is, is gone. <laughs> We're back to the uh, scrambling over the resources of the world to get our little slice of heaven on earth. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us um, this morning through your word uh, to give us what will really enrich us in our hearts and in our relationships and in our society at large. So uh, please speak to us, Lord. Uh, uh, Yeah, we need your help every time we open your word. Uh, We're not inclined to want to hear, uh, so we need your help to do that, and we need your help to understand. We need your help to desire what we see in your son, uh, and we need your help to put our trust in him and then to follow him. So we ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's tackle an easy topic today, given it's Boxing Day and we're all a bit tired. Uh, what is the hope for the world? Oh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't choose a passage. Uh, it's, I'm going to give credit to the Holy Spirit that we're up to here uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel. So what is the hope for the world? So I admit that we're, we're probably not going to be done by 10.30, I'm sorry, uh, but let's... Let's listen in, because hope, we're coming into a new year. Hope is a uh, timely topic. Uh, we've all got hopes and aspirations. Uh, I, I want to get into the topic through, um, I suppose, a social angle, a social lens. I think it's been very popular this past year. Uh, we can put society right. The hope for the world is if everyone stays woke. Have you heard that phrase this year? Stay woke, um, it means cry out when there's injustice. If you see injustice, cry out. Defend the marginalised, the minority, the prejudiced. Uh, censor, cancel stuff, racist things, sexist things. Can- cancel anything that suggests that. And if you don't speak up, you're part of the problem. So if everyone stays woke, then socially, relationally, we'll get rid of injustice. Uh, if we stay woke. Now, exposing injustice, even publicly, is... uh, Jesus did it in the passage we looked at last week, in the paragraph before. Uh, The Pharisees were uh, treating a man without mercy, a man who was deformed, and he, he was cut off from the temple of God, and they had no mercy for him. They had mercy for the animals, but not for him. And he exposes them. They're in the synagogue. He publicly speaks about that. He exposes them. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with calling out injustice using the means we have. But speaking out isn't enough to put society right. Now, at this point, um, I'm a white male... (laughs) who's very privileged in life, so what right have I got to say uh, that staying woke isn't the solution? Let me share what someone deeply inside the woke movement has said. So uh, I was listening to a podcast. uh, Africa Brooke is her name. 
she wrote an article uh, online that just went viral. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Why I am leaving the cult of wokeness. So in the podcast, she describes what changed her mind. So there was this moment where she got a private message from a man uh, and she says it wasn't unkind, it wasn't an unkind message at all. Uh, he was asking if everything she was posting online through Instagram and things and all she was writing and saying, is that the best approach? That was this guy's question. A private message. And she says, it didn't even cross my mind to have a private conversation. My instant thought was, how dare you question a black woman in that way? So what, this is what she did. She screenshotted the message and posted it on her Instagram feed and six or 7,000 people within minutes were on her side saying that man was wrong to do that. You don't need to educate him on, on racism. That all took about 20 minutes, she said. Uh, and she, she, felt, she said she felt validation and affirmation uh, in that moment, like, just a rush of it. But then... She felt something else immediately after that. She had just publicly shamed this guy uh, and she, she suddenly felt sick in her stomach. She said, I didn't have to deal with him. In that moment, I dehumanised him. I didn't have to process it and search my own thinking about his question. Should I not have given him the respect he gave me in sending a private reply? That was the moment. She Enormous validation and then suddenly feeling sick what she did, that was the moment that changed and led to her article, Why I Am Leaving the Cult of Wokeness. Uh, let, me, let me read just a, a paragraph of her article. It's, uh, she doesn't hold back. This is what she says. I can no longer be an active participant in any culture or movement that encourages groupthink, outrage on demand, fear and violence, revamped segregation, fabricating history, cancellations masked as accountability, self-centeredness, normalisation of racism towards white people, the disempowerment of black people masked as social justice, the constant redefining of existing language, ignoring self-responsibility, constant pathologising, oppressed versus oppressor mentality, and the pressure to conform and comply, it's exhausting. And honestly, I have better things to do with my time, not to mention it's killing us. So that's her opinion. Um, do with that what you want. We need more than woke. We need more than crying out injustice. Now remember, Jesus does cry out injustice at appropriate times. But we need more than that to put our society, our relationships right. And I think this passage today gives us uh, what we need, the better way. So if not crying out, what is our hope for society to keep us together relationally? God says Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of our world. And the experts in the Bible certainly don't agree. They don't think so. We know in verse 14, if you have your Bibles open, Matthew 12, we know in verse, verse 14, the Pharisees have come to their conclusion Far from being the hope of the world, Jesus has to go. Uh, their outside-in way of being good and important and at peace with God has been exposed by Jesus and either their framework of life has to go or Jesus, who's threatening their framework for life, has to go. 
And so they're conspiring, how do we destroy him? I think Matthew is begging the question of us at this point. What about you? What's your opinion of Jesus so far? Uh, we've spent, if, if you've been with us, uh, since the 18th of July, we've been going through Matthew, looking at the person of Jesus and his mission. So half a year, and then two months last year, looking at his birth and all the fulfilment of God's promises. I think Matthew is asking us to pause and come to a conclusion at this point. Verse 14, the Pharisees have come to a conclusion and now he gives this summary statement. This, he, this is the longest quote in Matthew of the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, about Isaiah's suffering servant. He's asking us to pause and decide who we think Jesus is. What do we see in him? By quoting Isaiah 42, he's suggesting if you can't see him as God's chosen servant, as Isaiah prophesied, you too will decide he's got to go. But if you do see him through this lens, he will be the hope of your world. If you see him as the Father sees him. So verse 18, this is the Father's opinion of Jesus. It's the Lord speaking in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. Pharisees, get out of my life. The Father, my soul, delights in this servant. Look at this individual. There's no one like him. When I look at him, I see my beloved. So why does the Father... Why does the Father's soul delight in him? Why not just say the Father delights in him? Um, I don't think working out if God has a soul or not is the point of this. This is poetry. Uh, it's like saying God has an arm to save. Uh, that's obviously a human expression. It's a picture. So what, what does the picture tell us? There, there is a reality there, don't get me wrong, but it's a picture. What's the picture saying of God's soul delighting in Jesus? I like how John Piper puts it. I can't say it better, so I'm going to quote him. Um, Surely what God means when he speaks of delighting in Jesus with his soul is that this joy, this pleasure, is part of his very nature. Uh, Or to put it another way, God the Father loves the Son with a spontaneous pleasure. When he beholds the Son, he sees that which by nature brings forth his most passionate enjoyment. Piper goes on to say, which means that God the Father would be an idolater unless what he saw in his Son was the image of his own glory. Jesus is God's greatest delight because Jesus is God. And the spring of Jesus' life is that he is chosen, loved and enjoyed by God the Father. From that relationship flows everything that he is and does. When God sees Jesus spontaneous delight because he sees his own character in his son. So what is it about his son that just brings forth delight uh, passionately, spontaneously? Well, to work that out, we need to work out one, 
what one word in here is connecting. So verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The quote in Isaiah is connected to what Jesus was doing. What is the this? Matthew wants us to see that this is why God delights in his son. What, uh, what is it? Uh, two commentators have uh, two different ideas. Uh, one is in verse, uh, where's my notes here? Verse 15. So many followed him and he healed them all. So one option is God delights in him because he's healing them all. He, like we saw the, with the man with the withered hand, he restored him completely. He's healing them all, not just some, all. <laughs> he's getting the victory, uh, the justice. We're going to look at that word in a bit more detail soon, but he's achieving that justice for all. He's putting things right. So that's one option. He healed them all. He's putting everything right. He's achieving what the servant was set out to achieve. The second option is in verse 16. And he ordered them not to make him known. He's telling his followers to be silent. Think about it. Those with power have just decided we need to kill this guy. And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew and tells his followers... Don't talk about me. That is completely different to the way this world works. <laughs> he didn't try and gather an army. Could you imagine the army he could gather? Like, these people owe him his, their life, their child's life. He didn't try and get the social power and strip the power from the Pharisees. He, he didn't do that. He chose the path of gentle service, which he knew would cause his own suffering. So, does, uh, does, this, does he fulfil what God says about the suffering servant because he's achieving, he's putting everything right, he's achieving that justice, or because he is gentle and lowly and humble, suffering? If, like me, I, I don't see why it can't be both. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd, prob- I'd go further and say it's got to be both because both are in this quote and both are necessary. For Jesus to achieve that total healing, he needs to suffer. So let, let's take a closer look at this, shall we? Let's, let's go into what God sees of Jesus and let's see if our souls produce that spontaneous, uh, passionate delight in him that little bit more. So justice, I think when we hear that word, we automatically think legal justice, social justice. Uh, But the word justice has a much bigger meaning in the Old Testament and in Isaiah. Uh, uh, In Isaiah, we find three main meanings. So I've got this from Barry Webb, who used to be an Old Testament lecturer at Moore College. Uh, there's three meanings of justice. So the first meaning of justice in the Old Testament and in Isaiah in particular is that justice is the order that God gave to the universe when he made everything. Everything had its place. Everything had its purpose. So justice pictures that. Everything was in order until sin stuffed up that order. Uh, the second thing that justice pictures 
is that the lies in this world and the lies particularly about God are replaced by truth, a true understanding of God. Uh, in particular, that the Lord is the Lord of history. Not anything else. Nothing else is in control. He, not idols, no other false gods. Justice means, no, the Lord is Lord of history. And people acknowledging that. So God created everything. He is the Lord of history. The third meaning of justice is about putting the relationship right between God's people and God. It's making peace. It's maintaining that peace between people and God. That's a pretty big mission if you stop and think about it. Uh, Barry Webb described, he summarises it this way, the mission of the servant is a gigantic one. It is nothing less than to put God's plan for his people into full effect and to make the truth about the Lord, Israel's God, known everywhere, especially the fact that he alone is the sovereign creator and Lord of history. That's a big mission. That's his goal. Like, I struggle to put my garden in order. It's, it, weeds just keep popping up. I tried to use the weed mat and it... A month later, there's weeds again. I can't even get my garden in order. God tells the servant, go fix everything. <laughs> That's a huge mission. Go put the whole world right. To do that, the servant must deal with the disfiguring effects of sin and the curse. And we get a glimpse of that with the man with the withered hand. Uh, every Jew understood that sin, either directly or indirectly, is the cause of, of curse. He must deal with the root problem, our lack of worship of the one true God. So have we, as we've gone through Matthews, have we seen the miracles properly? Like the paralysed man, his paralysis could only be healed if the root problem was dealt with the sin that distorted, the total restoration, the foretaste of what we're looking forward to, everything, including our bodies, being put right. So is this the picture of hope that we have? Everything being put right. Not just social justice, but, but includes that. But putting our character right, that we see God as the creator and Lord of our life gladly uh, serving him because of his love for us, uh, putting our relationship back, uh, and from there, putting our relationship back with one another, expressing the love and the, the servant-heartedness of the Son. Is that our hope for the world, or do we have a, uh, I don't know, let me use Boxing Day, do we have a Boxing Day idea of hope? Let's just... Outside in, let's put everything on the outside back in order. Or do we love what we see here? The second reason why God's soul delights in his son is because of how he will achieve this. Um, notice that in verse 19 to 20, we're told two things that he won't do. So we're mainly told what he won't do, and then we're also told one thing he will do. He's not going to quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. 
and a bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not quench. So first, he's not going to cry aloud in the streets. Again, let me just remind us that that can't be literal. He was just in the synagogue saying, this is wrong, what you're doing. So it can't be literal. But he knows that those with power want to destroy him and he doesn't play their game. He doesn't try and get the social power back. He doesn't fight fire with fire. He withdraws. He tells his followers not to fight for him. He chooses not to have the power that this world calls power. Instead, he chooses to be destroyed. He chooses the path of suffering. He chooses to quietly get on with helping those who want help. He chooses not to have the power, just quietly. People want help. If you want help, I'll, I'll help you. But he knows that that's going to be a path of suffering. What's even more powerful than merely crying out for injustice? I think more powerful is someone who is so secure in themselves because they know the Father's love for them that they choose a painful path of getting on with serving quietly rather than trying to be in control and have the power, knowing it's going to hurt. There's only one man who ever did this fully. And God delights in him. Just can we pause and go, what difference would it make to your family right now? What difference would it make to our church family, uh, even your own heart? Uh, what difference would it make to Newcastle and the world if people acted like this? Not having the control, not having the power, but choosing to love, knowing it's going to hurt. Would that make a difference? I think it would make all the difference in the world, wouldn't it? The second thing, he won't snuff out a smouldering wick. Uh, some might be here very aware of their failings. Uh, some may not have felt emotionally close to God for weeks, months, years. I, I'm not sure. In those seasons of life, if you're like me, you convince yourself that God has given up on you. Like, I would give up on me. Uh, this, this world rides people off. It snuffs people out so quickly, doesn't it? So you do one thing and someone can cut off relationship. One failing, one different opinion. And maybe, again, that failure does deserve that, that person to be snuffed out. Maybe it was, that was, it was serious. Uh, we had three candles on our dinner table the other night trying to be um, Christmassy. Uh, and one of the candles was just, it was struggling. It was, the wax was just smothering it. And I, the dinner was there, it was getting cold. I, I was getting impatient. Uh, I knew I had another candle, I just want to swap it. Let's get on with eating. Jesus won't treat you like that. <laughs> he will never treat you like that. 
you're struggling? Uh, oh, well, I'll try with someone else. He will never do that. That's not his character. We think it is because we think he's like the rest of the world, like us. But he's not. And that's why the Father delights in him. He will never treat you like that. I tried to picture what type of person is the bruised reed that's just ready to snap or the smouldering wick that, ugh, it's barely even producing smoke. Let's just start again. Like, who is that person? I think it's all of us, isn't it? Unless you think you're the hope of your world, if you think you're that arrogant that you can put your world right, <laughs> if, that, if you're not thinking that way, then... Isn't it all of us? Aren't we aware of how our love for God is just faltering? Even within a day, you can start the day, yes, I want to live for God. By the end of the day, (laughs) you're smouldering. That fire, that love for others can just be, be quenched by discouragement or fear or knowing your own failure. I think we're all the bruised reed and the smouldering wick. And he will never snuff us out. He won't do that. He is gentle. He invites us again and again to draw near to him. Uh, He's like oxygen. Just draw near to him. He will reproduce that, that fire for God, that fire for one another. So he won't cry aloud to try and get the power He won't snuff out, but he will proclaim justice, uh, verse 18. He will authoritatively proclaim what is really the case. Let me draw on what we've heard in Matthew to try and picture what this means. I think the leper heard it when Jesus said, I am willing, be clean, and he touched him and he was healed. He heard that proclamation of justice. I am willing to have mercy, be clean. And he believed it. Uh, The paralysed man heard it. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. However guilty you feel, he has proclaimed justice over us. Your sins are forgiven. The tax collectors and sinners heard it. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And they they ate and drank with him. But so many in those cities who saw the miracles didn't hear it. The Pharisees didn't hear it. And Jesus says, woe to you. His resurrection from the dead... His suffering in our place proclaims justice to all who will listen and believe him. All your sin is forgiven. You do have peace with God. I am the first fruits of the resurrection. You will rise with me. The whole world will be resurrected. I'll put society right. His resurrection proclaims all of that. It's done. Sin is dealt with. But he achieved it by not crying aloud, but choosing to suffer and serve. If you put your hope 
in, in Jesus, this one that the Father delights in. I, I, I believe that this word is saying to us that God's delight can be ours because God sees us so bound up with his son if we put our hope in him for our world, for the world. He sees us so bound up with him that his victory becomes our victory. His proclamation of truth is, is truth. Sin is forgiven. And God can say over my life, over your life, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Not, not because of what you've done, but because of his victory on your behalf. Who cares about six or 7,000 people uh, tweeting in response that you're right, saying that they love you, if you've got the father... <laughs> of all, saying, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased because of what my son has done for you. Everything is right between us. You will rise again. So let me just finish with a few questions. How much does your soul delight in him? How much? Uh, I suppose, do you want your soul to delight in him more? Can you see what the Father sees in him? Is the vision of putting the whole world right, by first putting your heart right with God, is that the hope that you have, that you want? Or do you want just all the external stuff? Does the way he achieves it, Delight your soul? Does it impress you? Does, is it attractive to you that he doesn't cry aloud, but knowing it's going to hurt, he chooses to serve? Is that attractive to you? Because if it is, we'll want to be like him. If we're not like him, as much as we say it's attractive, then um, we're not fully believing it yet. So, how much? I'm not saying if your soul delights in him or not. But if, you, if it hasn't yet, then keep looking at him. See what the Father sees. But those of us who do delight in him, how much does it? He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of our world. So let's, let's follow him. Let's be like him more and more. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, uh, I pray for each of us that uh, you would draw us closer and uh, closer to your son. Uh, open our eyes more and more and more as we uh, understand your word, more to, as well as we see your character embodied in the lives of one another in the church. Uh, Lord, I pray that you draw each of us closer to you uh, delighting in your son, that we might follow in his steps. Lord, I pray that the power and stability of Jesus' life might be ours as well, that we might know your, your proclamation that you've spoken over us, that we are your beloved, 
with whom your soul is well pleased, not because of what we've done, but because of what your son has achieved on our behalf. Lord, help us to believe that more and more. When, when sin is just making us feel ashamed, help us to believe your proclamation over us. Uh, when we're discouraged, when we're fearful, help us to believe that you are the hope of the world. Help us to have confidence that you will get the victory in the end. Help us to look to the resurrection. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.